0: I saw a blind person who was crossing the street and he was using a white cane, but he held his phone in his hand and he had a very specific waving pattern where, you know, he waved the phone from left to right. Out of curiosity, I was like, oh, maybe there is like an app that does obstacle detection for blind people or whatever. And, you know, just bother, uh, bothered asking. And he told me he was doing a FaceTime call to a friend. And that was, that was the moment where I sort of realized that, I mean, it's, it's a cool use of FaceTime, right? But, uh, it's, probably not what the guys of FaceTime designed it for initially. And and so that's, that's how the original idea came up.
1: Welcome to Impulse, the podcast where we dive into the most exciting breakthroughs in healthcare of our time. In each episode, I sit down with some of the most brilliant minds that are using technology to rethink the way we care. Inspiring and passionate to tell you all about their innovation and how it will impact the lives of millions. My name is Matthew Chafford. I'm a biomedical engineer and medical technology enthusiast. And in this podcast, we take the pulse of this incredible field. Welcome to Impulse. All right. So hello, mael i I'm glad to have you with us for this new episode of Impulse. Um, I've been following your activities with uh, a lot of interest over the past weeks with uh, Biped.ai, which is a company that you co-founded um, a bit more than two years ago if I'm right, and which developed a device that supports blind people in navigating their environment using technology that actually stems from autonomous cars and autonomous driving. Um, It's the first time on the podcast that we are talking about um, the technology that's linked to ophthalmology. And um, given the fact that you guys are enabling people with limited vision or no vision at all to hear their environment, um, I'm sure you'll do a marvelous job and explaining us how this is achieved and uh, and the crazy science that stands behind it. So before we dive further into these topics, would you like to present yourself?
0: Sure. Yeah, sure. I'm very glad to be here uh, today. So my name is Mael. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Bythead. Um I initially, so I'm French originally, I studied economics at the University of Lausanne um, and transitioned to um more data science stuff in paris um in in telecom um works in a couple of startups and then at some point realized that my interest lied at the intersection of uh research and um product stuff and uh that's the moment i started my phd um at epfl uh in a lab from ediap in signal and speech processing um there was a hackathon organized by my lab and i think uh after having launched a uh, first company, I always had that in the back of my mind, and so my whole PhD was basically a side hustle, um, biped as a side hustle on the side of my, my PhD. And at some point, I flipped the the coin, and I was like, okay, we got the opportunity to raise some money. I'm willing to make the shift away from from research. Uh, let's do it.
1: Nice. But so you're not an engineer originally, right?
0: No, I'm not an engineer. I have a yeah very hybrid background in the sense that I'm the worst programmer of the of the team <laughs> um, i'm probably the one searcher also but uh to many extent I, I try to touch a bit of everything um which is uh, i think not so common so it's it's quite cool i think quite a privileged situation to be able to understand the the financial discussions and then go a bit more in depth on this side of uh, uh, the startup but on the other side um be able to follow up with like what's happening uh, inside of the tech team
1: yeah, that's cool. I I, w- I was assuming that you were an engineer. So no, that's that's really cool. So could you tell us a bit about so going a bit now into what what you guys are doing at pipett.ai? Um so what's the the need that you know the technology that you've pulled together and we'll go you know further um further on it later on? What's like the kind of like the problem that you guys are trying to address?
0: Sure. Um, so there's globally around uh, 40 million blind people in the world. So now, I mean, when we talk about blind people, it, they're not all um, specifically um, impaired in their daily mobility. They, for some of them, the residual vision they have is sufficient um, to go from point A to point B independently. However, for the vast majority of those um, 40 million blind people, it's it, like daily mobility is, is directly impacted, and that's why they use uh, white canes or guide dogs. Um, guide dogs are probably, I would say to date, the most advanced system, if you're blind, to go from A to B. Um, requires three years of training, 60K, very limited supply. It's, it's uh, At scale, it's a bit of a nightmare to handle. Uh, and um, and many blind people actually decline to use um, uh, guide dogs because of the care it requires. Um and the long wait time, um, and on the other hand, white cane is uh, just a walking stick, right? It's uh, one long, thin, foldable, but that's it. It's only going to detect obstacles on the ground, and it's still what is being used um, globally. And uh, and so when you think about it, like having um, something that scans the floor leaves the whole upper body part um, very exposed to potential obstacles. Um, and so head injuries are very frequent uh, among vision impaired people in general. Um, and so what we are trying to work on is a solution that can basically just help make sure that there is nothing that has a direct risk of collision with you that might hit you in a couple of seconds. Um, and what we saw is like a rise also of new types of dangers, especially in cities, uh, with everything related to electric mobility. So electric scooters, um, bicycles, electric vehicles in general will make it extremely hard for blind people because they don't hear sounds incoming. Um, and so things that come fast, things that are not picked up by the white king is pretty much everything we try to to detect. Um, the thing we've built is a small harness that you wear on the shoulders. I mean, it's not that small. I would love It's uh, the hardware. It's a little bit bulky, um, but it's a harness that you wear on the shoulders. It has a bunch of uh, cameras that are located on the left um the we used uh, depth cameras uh with an infrared sensor to have day and night vision with 170 degrees of field of view so the idea is to go as wide as possible capture as much things as possible and basically replicate what self-driving cars do but at the pedestrian level so if there is an obstacle incoming, um we can basically detect it we can track it we can predict its trajectory and if it has a risk of collision with the trajectory of the user then we would typically play a sound um and so the sound feedback is just like the parking assist of a car um so if it's coming closer the person will just hear beep beep beep, beep, beep. and uh you know headphones airpods whatever um what works pretty well is bone conduction headphones because they're open ear so they don't interfere with the um yeah the
1: external sounds
0: yeah and um Yeah. And on top of that, we try to provide uh, GPS instructions. So turn by turn, um, but more classic just as a convenience because they still use uh, GPS systems on top of our system to date and we try to um, gather everything into a single application.
1: So you've already mentioned a bit like what the the device is about. How does it work? Um, Is this a, um, a substitute to the cane or the dog that you mentioned? Or do people still depend on that in a way?
0: That's a good question, because, I mean, we, we, to be honest, like, we initially went with the you know, bold message that we were going to replace stuff. Um, <laughs> I think turns out, like, uh, no, uh, we were we really active as a, as a complement to whatever they're using uh, for various reasons. I, but uh, just to give a high-level uh, overview of this, um, there is, like, mobility training is a whole set field in, uh, in low vision rehabilitation. Um, once you have to deal with the fact that you lost sight or that you're gradually losing sight, you have to get trained by occupational therapists and orientation and mobility trainers. And so people train up to 50 hours to learn to walk with the white cane and removing that advice where you claim that with like 15 minutes of training you're gonna get like fully replaced whatever has been learned the other um, you know the other way with the white cane is hardly going to get it. Um, so, the white cane is very useful for signaling purposes. Um, so, we have in our design integrated the fact that we don't want to film what's exactly on the ground. So, the first meter is actually not filmed by our cameras, mostly because we want the white cane to stay there um, for signaling purposes. Um, just so that, you know, I, I think whenever uh, everybody has some sort of empathy at some point, when you see a blind person struggle, with the white cane you always offer help and that's i think something that's always uh, always useful um plus the fact that there is one underlying challenge also once if you remove the white cane it's like how do you convey ground level information that is you know textured enough and precise enough that you know yeah with the, someone that's it's a bit hard, hard or, yeah, yeah it, sound is a massive bottleneck uh, right and and so far as we can we can't do i mean you can think of uh haptic feedback or other yeah, type vibrations of vibrations are possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sound is, is probably the, the richest kind of feedback you can give after um, like visual feedback. Um, but I think if look into the, the the data transfer rates that you can have visually versus uh, yeah. channel, uh, you go anywhere from uh, tens of, of megabits per second to a couple of kilobits per second um so there's a big bottleneck and you need to choose wise uh, wisely what you convey as an information um plus that we try to really optimize sequences where there are no sounds at all being played that's more for convenience and usability um because people would just drop out of the the whole thing if, if we were to generate too many sounds
1: yeah and i think the so this idea of using um Autonomous driving technology to support you know, blind or people with limited, uh, visit, like limited vision. Um, I think that's that's super. You know, that's kind of like smart in a way because I don't know if they are like you know if you have like competitors doing like a very similar thing and leveraging the same type of technologies. Um, I was wondering where the what does the idea come from? Is it from your nearby surrounding where you have someone in your you know in your life who has limited vision or impairment and you know you you got the opportunity to to understand a bit like what the problem was and how did he came
0: across it's um actually a random encounter um i i, I was walking close by the oftalmik hospital in in lausanne um and i i saw a blind person who was crossing the street and he was using a white cane but he had a very uh, he held his phone in his hand and he had a very specific waving pattern where you know he waved the phone from left to right and out of curiosity I was like, oh maybe there is like an app that does obstacle detection for blind people or whatever and you know, just bother and uh, bother asking and he told me he was doing a FaceTime call to a friend and that friend was actually helping me. And um and that was that was the moment where I sort of realized that I mean it's, it's a cool use of FaceTime, right? But uh it's <laughs> yeah, not what the guys of FaceTime designed it for initially. Uh plus you need to have someone who's there and how do you know that when you film something on the left it's actually there's yeah, not you have a
1: very right limited happening. field of view.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. He was holding the phone, uh, uh, holding the phone vertically, and and, and so at, at, that's that's how the original idea came up. Um, and um, I realized that we needed ultra wide field of view, day and night, because you know you also, I mean, daily mobility is also impacted. I mean, many blind people still have um, perception of of light, uh, or residual vision that can be enhanced by um, good lighting um, and uh, and so you also need this to work at night because this is where they might typically struggle um, and we also wanted to have some kind of a um, perception of, of depth uh, because you wanted to be able to tell what is you know how are things moving I mean you can there are automatic ways to to do this with a, a single camera but it's it's not running fast enough and so those were a bit like the constraints to get started with and so I started to at bit what exists currently and why you know why is it the best thing he found like to do a FaceTime call to a friend um and i found a bunch of stuff um i'm on the the scope of electronic white canes um so they typically use ultrasound sensors or laser sensors uh they've been around for 30 plus years every time reinvented like this put a bit the same way and the the reasoning is very simple it's a it's a distance detector Um, so it's a distance sensor and it will basically vibrate in the white cane if there is a, an obstacle incoming. Um, but it's it's really like, if there's something at more than two meters, it's gonna play a sound. Um, and uh, I mean, something uh, something closer than two meters, it's just gonna play a sound and that's about it. Um, so it's a very binary back in that sense. And, and the main bottleneck people encountered was that if you use it in a very simple scenario, since it's attached to the cane, it's gonna wave from like left to right. And if you're just on a sidewalk, walking in a street, there's like a building on the left. Your white cane faces left. It's going to vibrate. You follow people in the street. So there's a group of pedestrians a couple of meters ahead. It's going to vibrate. And then you go to, your white cane goes to the right in its movement. And there are a bunch of cars that are parked on the right. It's going to vibrate. And so this overwhelming feedback was was the one thing that came back as the, okay, um, it's a good idea in principle, but I'm not using that. so rethinking the whole thing was, how do you use different sensors? How do you place it on a different part of the body? How, how do you like rethink the the whole thing? And then cameras started to make sense. Movement analysis started to make sense. Um, having an idea of what is the type of object that is approaching started to make sense. And uh, yeah, the idea came very gradually. But um, it's, it started as like, how can we enhance this, this FaceTime call?
1: That's really cool. Um... I was wondering if we, if you could, you know, help us understand a bit how the, so the detection part works. So for people who have like no clue about uh, lidar technology or any sensors or like complicated things, but I was wondering if you could, you know, take us through a bit how the, yeah, how the detection part works as well, and then maybe in a second step, how this is being translated into, you know, sound and how you are making sense of what you are sensing visually into into like an auditory feedback i think that would be quite interesting but yeah maybe first around the the detection part
0: yeah um so we have three cameras on on the device um they cover together very wide field of view it's 170 by 90 degrees um it's it's they're called depth cameras um so they have um, two lenses that can do stereo um, depth estimation so we for each pixel we have the color of the the pixel but we also have the the distance of the of the pixel with some margin of error of course Um, and we also have on each of these three cameras an infrared sensor and so the idea is really that day and night we have an idea of what is around the person um, and we can build those depth images um, around the person Um, and so we can work with a um, with a color image and with a depth image From there, we actually build what is called a point cloud uh, representation. So, might see like this this kind of dots uh, representation of uh, um, up to. So, we do uh, typically the cameras we use uh, handle up to 12 meters of uh, range of detection, um, which is also trying to overcome one of the big limitations of uh, the ultrasound or laser sensors that do typically 1.5 to 2 meters. We could, in theory, go much further. so this is like this the scene kind of representation we work with, and then for to identify an obstacle very quickly, if you say you know simple rule, everything that is closer uh, than five meters is going to be an obstacle. Very quickly, what you'll feel is that the the ground on which the person is walking or the ceiling um, if the person is standing indoor is going to be picked up as an obstacle as is whereas it's like the the safe place where you can actually walk. And so what you need to kind of figure out is like, what is the walkable surface for the person without being too um, greedy in how you estimate the surface? Because if you miss a hole or drop offs or a staircase is going down, then the danger happens. So there is first like ground estimation um, aspect. This is actually in in, in, um, self-driving cars. This is known as the drivable area. And so, um, self-driving cars would typically kind of uh, segment which part of the road they can drive on, Um, and then from run the analytics. So you have your point cloud. You know where your ground is located. Uh, From there, anything that is left is potentially an obstacle. Cluster these kind of things to make you know to identify the the um, um, individual entities. And um, an obstacle can be static or can be moving. And it can have can be any anything, right? It Could be a pedestrian mm-hmm. coming in, could, could be a bar. Mm-hmm. could be, be low hanging branches or traffic signs, um, and so we try to identify and track these um, entities in in the frame uh, around the person consecutively, as many uh, frames per second as we can, estimate the trajectory of those things that are potentially incoming, or you know just be able to safely discard. That the pedestrian is, you know, turning right a couple of meters away. I shouldn't care about this, um, so I can focus on, on on what really matters. And how we define what matters is with the time to impact. Um, so if something is coming in the direction of the end user, um, we estimate sort of time to impact. And if we know that there is um, a risk of collision from there, we actually prioritize uh, this information and we provide an audio feedback. Um, and so this is only like really like the reasoning in terms of. If and only if it has an absolute risk of collision, then we play a sound, um, and that's something we we at first like in the first test we completely overloaded the the audio feedback. Um, yeah, were like so it was a bit like the part.
1: same issue that that these like ultrasound canes had, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like probably we did even worse, but. Uh, <laughs> but that's really- <laughs> that's that's how we started the the whole thing and and then the first feedbacks were okay i mean you guys are giving me information but how am i supposed to make sense of that Um, and so we started to develop like a bunch of rules around this time to impact this you know build better models so that our trajectory started to get better and better Um, and then over time get to a stage where the the device can actually estimate quite precisely we're not completely there yet but quite precisely what has an actual risk of impact and then only in that case play uh, play sound feedback um, and then the, this the obstacle can have any any type and we can then tweak around the type of sound depending on the type of obstacle that's incoming so you can have different music modes like different types of beeps if it's a car versus a pedestrian um, versus a static obstacle or a hole or a staircases And then it's a matter of training and like user uh, integration in in this loop Um, and for you know that that's that's the the i would say you understand the movement quite easily the you know the more frequently the beeps are being played um, it actually gives you an idea of how fast the thing is is coming your way Um, you have an idea of the type of obstacle with the type of music notes that you play and you have also a 3d effect to the sound um so we use a uh, just a signal processing method if the thing's coming from the left directly you're going to hear um quite intuitively in the headphones that it's coming from the left um if you wear it with airpods for example we're going to even apply the head tracking from the airpods so if you already look on the left yourself and we identify something it will be
1: emphasized left,
0: oh. <laughs> you're going to hear it as if it were coming in front of you uh, just because your head is already facing left um, okay well and uh and yeah, and then we have a final feature that actually people uh, like quite a lot, and it kind of resonates with the, um, um, the you know the initial problem of like hitting your face, uh, or like bumping into things at the head level. It's we also reflect the elevation of the obstacle. It's really like this kind of three D understanding. Like you can understand what is it, where where is it, uh, what direction is it coming from, and like where is it potentially going to hit me? And for that, play with the. Um, um, the the pitch of the music notes. So if the, uh, the 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 beep has a higher pitch, then it's a head level or lower pitch than its ground level.
1: And and so there is like also like you were talking about the training that people need to go through when they use a cane or when they use a, a guiding dog. So there is there is a training part with your system as well, right? Where they need to understand a bit how the. I mean, I understood that it's built in a way that it's very intuitive. But there's still like a training part when people like get the device put it on where they have to understand a bit what's what are the auditory cues that are being sent and what does it mean
0: um for them right yeah absolutely um so we we've been working together um with the ophthalmic hospital in in lausanne Um, we actually have like three um very good ophthalmic hospitals in in switzerland um and in lausanne they they also pretty much support all sorts of innovation around low vision rehabilitation um, and so we've worked together with occupational therapists and, and people who do these kind of trainings with blind people into drafting a learning like a, a learning module that is played on an app where it's you know we describe a situation and then we describe what the, f- what the feedback of the device would be and then we ask questions on how would they react in this or this situation um, and the device actually only gets unlocked once you have finished all these levels. Before that, like it just asks you to to finish your training. Um, and so far, we don't run like very advanced analytics on like how people finish the training. Whatever they can brute force, like click on all the buttons, and they would get to the end of it. But you can think of a way that you can actually have very, um, you know, see what people struggle with. In terms of of training to be to be even able to adapt like the feedback or the complexity in, in terms of what you can provide as feedback d- depending on you know the experience they had during training
1: mm-hmm. okay and maybe about the the users so you said that you know it's it covers a range of um let's say people with limited vision from those that are like you know no vision at all to those who have like some uh, remaining abilities yeah what's the target users that are you like is there like a specific type of persons among that spectrum that you know fit better or the goal is to really have it flexible so that you cover the whole spectrum
0: we, we try to be as broad as possible um but it has i mean we prioritize of course specific use cases at first so you can think of retinus pigmentosa uh, glaucoma or age-related macular degeneration um, those are like the most common diseases that would impact vision quite rapidly and that would impact mobility um, as is, or people who are born blind. Uh, it's quite rare, but it happens. Um, yeah, we've we've tested it with a, a couple of people who were born blind. Um, so I mean, in, as long as your daily mobility is somehow impacted, um, that's that's going to be our 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 target group. Um, now the we we don't focus on kids too much because they haven't finished uh, white cane training, and there is I think one trade-off that we are really seeing um, among potential adopters is the the residual vision that you have and how comfortable you feel walking without any assistive technology is sort of going to tell you if you can accept wearing a device like ours that is a bit more bulky Um, and and we really see this this barrier between what you define as legally blind uh, you know having correct vision below a certain threshold and, and we typically see this kind of, of uh, um, border also applied to us, right? Those who are usually you know, legally blind would be willing to take the trade-off of wearing something that is a bit more bulky than is what we do. Um, and people who would be really in the visually impaired um, spectrum, uh, but not legally blind, would maybe struggle in like many cases um, for uh, their mobility, especially, you know, bright light or low lights and um, specific situations um but the they wouldn't use it all the time and carrying the thing the whole time and having it you know it's 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 it, i think it's a common feedback we get and i mean you gotta pick your fight and we're starting with the i would say the, the the hardest use case at first um we we also see um I think some kind of um, good feedback that that was more like a discovery um, a couple of months ago, but um, a couple of users who have hemispatial neglect. So, you know, after strokes, especially uh, um, right uh, hemisphere and um, strokes, uh, um, some people have have a side effect where they have um, a neglect in their field of view and they consider... um, that the, the whole left field of view, that they, they, some of them are aware, some of them are not aware, but they can hardly process like the whole left part of the field of view. That's uh, apparently quite a common outcome. I mean, I had zero, pill, right? Uh, I was uh, um, very, uh, I had very limited medical knowledge in, in general mm-hmm. that, and so people came up with a use case and I was like, I mean, sure, if we can just filter out like the obstacles um that are on the right and say okay that's something they see but everything that is on the left okay we can um focus on this we we tested this with a a couple of people in the the, uh, neurological rehabilitation centers and it works well so that was i think so far one one cool application that we didn't envision at first and that people came up with um and so we are still exploring a couple of things in this direction uh, but we have a mode for hemispatial neglect um, patients. We and we are what we're trying to do is really like bring the flexibility of um, our software into all the hard applications that have never been explored so far by standard technologies. And so many blind people would also lose another sense as uh, you know, blindness is kind of an age-related thing uh, for most of the cases. So you would also lose gradually like hearing. Um, And so how can you address uh, deaf blindness? Not with an audio feedback most of the time. Um, And so what we're trying to do is either like they have cochlear implants, we can pair with cochlear implants, and then we can try to um, provide feedback to them that way. Um, Or we provide haptic feedback uh, via an Apple watch or via like smart wristbands that vibrate. And we can just like send a specific event to make them vibrate uh, when something approaches. Or people who are in wheelchairs you know you very common to lose mobility um habits um uh, especially as as you get older uh, you lose sight and you you lose your ability to walk independently um, those would be uh two conditions that would um yeah basically impact quality of life quite extremely for us it's one thing in the camera what is the theoretical you know points yeah, <laughs> in that range and uh and that's something we've also tried and so far getting good results with so i mean we have like a specific sorry that's a bit of a long answer but we have like a specific user group that we're typically interested in but we're also very happy to let people come up with um additional cases use cases like, uh, realizing that very often the 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 um, like low vision is, is is not a condition that is um Um, simple to define the spectrum is very broad and then people very often have other conditions Um, so real life is is a bit complex
1: and and in terms of having access to your device so is this um is this a medical device and does like you know anyone can you know get access to it and how what's their commercial model as well is that something that they buy like like they would buy a phone or is that like a subscription that they would uh, pay on the monthly
0: or yearly basis yeah so it's a it's a medical device it's a class one medical device so we're say, quite lucky in uh, not having to go too much in details on clinical trials yeah. so that was that was rather fast um we are now doing the steps for fda approval also um and it's um the the for the business model the 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 standard in our industry is to get reimbursed um, so if you manage to get uh, some kind of coverage by health insurances or disability insurances, private insurances, whatever, um, that's, that's um, usually, yeah, that, that would be the best. And this is where also you see sales take off. Um, right now, what we're doing is a subscription system um, because the reimbursement um, uh, system is very scattered, especially for assistive technologies where it's very often like an amendment to like a specific text initially. And so every country can literally define this whatever way they want. Um, And so there is like, yeah, there are lists of stuff that are reimbursed and um, others that never make it to that list. In France, for example, there would be like department by department in like disability um, departmental houses. Um, So the steps are very long. Right now what we do is a subscription system for um 129 swiss francs a month um and there is one month of free trial we produce as many devices as we can with the limited capabilities we have but um we sold our first three batches and we're targeting anywhere between 250 to 300 devices this year um that we just want to dispatch get feedback and uh and uh yeah that's roughly where we stand
1: oh that's cool and is there like beyond um the use of that technology for, um, you know, people with limited vision, what are the, and you we, and we mentioned some other like use cases, but they all pertain a bit to this area. Are there like other areas of application that are like completely different than this one, where you think your device and the technology that you've put together would be helpful as well?
0: Um, yeah, it's, um, I mean, if, if we make good progress on the hardware side I, I would definitely see that um, somehow elderly people as, as a you know, more very generic population as long as they just struggle with one specific aspect of their daily mobility could definitely be in the spectrum of what we could help with uh, you know think a bit of the uh, um, all the driver assist systems but like bring it to the pedestrian level and that's the kind of things we could somehow be building um, one, one thing that excites me like pretty much from the engineering standpoint is also um, we're capturing data that has so far never been accessed uh, you know by um, self-driving car manufacturers because they capture data from point of view of the street but uh it's very likely that in a couple of years um city centers are going to ban uh, cars and i mean you're seeing this trend pretty much everywhere and so can can we have like a role in the kind of medium run in the delivery robot industry or anything automated that has to go in like pedestrian areas or like closed city centers? Because like modeling the complexity of whatever is happening in, in like pedestrian uh, areas is actually a lot more, that's my personal belief, but a lot more complex than modeling the complexity of what can happen on the road because there is always going to be a certain... Um, behavior and and deviations from this behavior that you might observe on the road another driver not paying attention pedestrian crossing last minute but this is like the it's a bit chaotic once you start moving to pedestrian only areas i think delivery robots could be like a cool application because we i guess could play i mean could have a good understanding of um, how pedestrians move um and and that could be uh and build relevant data sets around this Oh, that's oh, that's cool
1: i've not thought about uh, about this one um so yeah I, I guess that's not something that you're focusing on at the moment but potentially something you have in mind once you have the the use case for a limit for a limited vision laid down
0: yeah it's it's like we we build data sets we'll see what we do with it afterwards but i uh, yeah. i think that's uh we'll, we'll see what future brings Maybe thinking a
1: bit about the users that you have now, what what do they say in terms of, you know, what's the feedback that you hear? Is this like, do they say it's really changing, you know, their life? They're finding it much more, you know, easy to navigate with the device than the situation
0: before that? The the good part is that, like, the the feedback is improving along the, the batches that we produce, which was, uh, I think, a good sign. First batch was a bit chaotic. Yeah. Um, but our our app was not accessible. I mean, we have an app to control the device and the app was not accessible as is. And uh, so you could not use voiceover to control it and like all sorts of problems you can imagine um, that prevented the user from like really providing feedback on the actual device and and, and usage of the device itself. Um, This is cleared and now we are boiling down to like some of the latest feedback we've had from um, some of the end users where... um, that it, it can sort of free their mind, knowing that nothing has a direct risk of collision in the next couple of seconds, um, which was something that we had in the back of our mind, right? It's it's not only about like the speed at which you walk or the confidence that you have, but I think having your mind free and not having this like constant, I mean, if you do the exercise of like closing your eyes and trying to walk in a corridor, like your eyes are going to like you know, shake a bit because you're always going to be uh, feeling that you won't collide into something. And like removing this layer, uh, I think even though they like, uh, of course, are not as scared as you know, a sighted person would be closing their eyes. But, but removing this this underlying fear is something that so far we're getting among uh, a good percentage of, of our users. Um, and others are also focusing on the like speed at which they walk, like feeling more confident um and so that's that's also something like we want to assess uh quite soon we we have a couple of ideas on on like things we want to evaluate for the device because uh, that all goes in the you know the scheme of h- how do you make your point in like the reimbursement of the device that's yeah how I do you put the value death, of these this like, um, because as a class one medical device like one could argue like why is it even a medical device but on the other hand like class one is it high enough for something that people are going to trust to move around it's definitely as, as they need to be right but it's not something we need to assess per se and and i think it's it's a good thing to to try to explore this um will it help us understand our our product better also mm-hmm.
1: yeah no that's super interesting and so you gave us already like a, a very good uh, understanding of what you're working on you know this and i would invite the listeners to to go to the website and see how the device looks like because it's really like a, a small harness that you wear on the shoulders with you know like on one side i think you have the battery and on the other side you have like the set of set of cameras and it's not so bulky or at least from the pictures it doesn't look like it's a huge thing and I, it probably doesn't weigh like 15 kilograms um no,
0: it's, it's 900 grams
1: okay yeah so it's 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 super light okay yeah. So no, thanks a lot, that I think it's like, I mean, first, like super useful and I really find this idea of applying, you know, kind of like a cutting edge technology that's being used for transportation to yeah, to like solve a quite prominent medical problem. That's super interesting. Conscious of your time, um, there's a few questions that I still like to go through with you. Um, while preparing the episode, I I noticed that you've been holding a a blog and a newsletter for quite some time where you share some elements from your work in tech, um, advice and tools for entrepreneurs alike. Um, but also a lot more like personal stuff around your past travels. Um, the, some, some, some elements you did in the last years, I believe that all of this has fueled your personal experience and contributed to, to this drive for doing, you know, impactful things something that you you seem to embody quite well and um and that you seem to praise as well i believe the definition of impact is quite um subjective and there are many different ways to to frame it um but i'd be curious to know what would be your own definition of this term and how you translate this into your work at biped but also in the remaining areas of of your life
0: um i i would say like um impact is, is, is a very much evolving term uh, these days uh, the most classic definition is to say that it's everything that brings a social or an environmental benefit how to, to end users uh, for me the, the definition of impact was a bit more personal in the sense that i, I launched a first startup when i was 19. Um, i think for the sake of launching something and like making all the mistakes that i could have um, um, you know, having studied somehow economics, I was like, you know, I had one class in entrepreneurship. I was like, it looks like something I'd like to do, and uh, and and that's the kind of uh, things I got into at first. Um, and and throughout this first uh, experience when that started for three years, but one of the questions that like came back quite often from the end users as we were done pitching is like, okay, but like concretely, what is the value of you know what you're building or like? Concretely, what is the benefit that I would have using your thing? And I was very excited by my idea on one end, and on the other, I felt like I still needed to convince somehow um, the you know customers, partners, whatever that my idea was like quite good. Uh, and and I think the impact is is where you get this personal drive that you feel you can continue working on a project for a couple of years, sometimes in shitty situations and shitty conditions, but you you feel like you have this drive to push it for a longer time and at the same time the value that you bring is so clear um to the end users that it's very often not even a question um so that's 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 a bit like what has changed between my first startup and and biped now um with a clear focus on um i think uh the the you know when i when i try to assess it like the the quality of life improvements um, because very often like you know it's easy to say that you're building a software that makes this like x person faster or it's kind of all oh, that's super cool but the you know how's that going to really impact the, the quality of life uh, of someone um in 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 the long run i think that's so far i've, I've found my 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 drive in this uh let see how long this lasts and maybe i don't know maybe like focusing on, on, on the niche is, is, uh, you know, probably not gonna uh, do like niche markets my whole life, but, uh, uh, it's, uh, something that I, that I very much enjoy these days.
1: Oh, that's really cool. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, what resources would you recommend us to, to check out in, in order to know more about the field in which you work and in which you evolve it can be books, publications, something a bit accessible, let's say.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, if from a technical standpoint, I think um there is uh Tesla is uh, basically publishing a bunch of stuff on on their AI days. It might be a bit technical, but it gives I think a good overview of what can self driving systems do these days. Um I think that's a bit like the the gold standard uh, in in this industry and then that that works very well at democratizing the um, the capabilities uh, that these systems can um, have. Um, on the other hand, there is, if you want to check it out, there are a bunch of uh, YouTube channels that are run by uh, blind people. Um, there's one named The Blind Life, um, and it's some of like I always recommend like taking five ten minutes and watching, you know, just a um, couple of sections of a of a couple of videos uh, uh, of these guys and and um, I mean um, I think the the main host is named sam and he's doing a um yeah, basically a bunch of uh videos on how does a blind people do like this this and that testing a couple of stuff and like showing um how he he handles uh, I, I think I think in generally like it, it builds up the empathy of of knowing how people like can struggle with something that is that might seem like very basic um to solve and uh and it also puts the focus not so much on the um you know dramatic side of uh you know having lost sight and this kind of things but more on the enabling side like how can technology how can assistive technologies how can like good training help uh tremendously um solving tasks that might seem like very simple for us but uh it's it's i think it's always uh, quite cool to to check it out if you have five minutes
1: cool could you share with us um, an anecdote? I, mean, I think that goes back a bit to the feedback question I asked before, but like an anecdote from your work at Biped, um, which made you realize the, uh, the impact and the benefit you were bringing into these patients' lives.
0: Uh, I, I would say the uh, in the latest batch that we shipped, we, we do customer support on like on, on WhatsApp, um, so yeah. we get very long voice notes uh, from from our customers uh, where they talk about like we, we asked them to provide very transparent feedback and so sometimes like a nine minutes uh what's a voice note oh wow it's uh, like a podcast because the format like the voice format is also very uh, very yeah. prominent. Mm-hmm. and uh, and and yeah we i think we we had like a uh whatsapp message of uh of of someone saying that he he it's one of the first units we ship to the uk and uh it's you know opening up a new country is always uh, you don't we don't have data in, in all these places, so we don't know so much, like, uh, how the device is going to work. And turns out, like, it was a good, uh, good fit. And, and I think the, the person was very, very enthusiastic and provided great feedback. Um, and he said that he could actually, like, use it with his guide dog and, like, walk faster um, than um, he used to and feel more confident doing so um which was like a huge win i think the whole team was very happy about this but like, the next morning like we get a message from the main distributor uh in, in the uk who's like uh, hey can we talk uh you know, i mean one of the people talking around this but just because like the message spreads super quickly so so once i think it's, it's niche markets but it's also very densely connected for all this uh, kind of tech and assistive technology ecosystem uh so yeah, that's one of the, uh, it was one of the, the cool wins recently. I mean, among it, like imagine like shit storms also that we have to, but, but at least like once you have one of those, it's, it's quite cool.
1: Really cool. <laughs> so at every episode, I, 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 really get inspired by, by the guests that I have the chance to, to receive and to meet on the, on the show. And, and there's no exception for you. Um, there's certainly other persons that you also look up to yourself that are also, you know, advancing in a way medical progress um if you would recommend one of them as a potential guest for the podcast who would that be and why would you recommend her or him
0: i think i would probably recommend i, I saw him yesterday but um, julian from adaptive biosystem uh they're also based in in biopol uh, in lausanne where we're located okay. so i think uh, yeah I, I i won't dive too much in, into what they're building but uh they, they launched some stuff recently um and uh and I think it's, it's one of the like very cool startups that we see around Lausanne and a team that has, a like massive speed of execution. Um, and, uh, and there's, a he's a great guy. So I definitely recommend having a, having a chat with him.
1: Cool. Yeah. I think he's, uh, we discussed it before the recording. I think he's, uh, he's also like someone who's we studied together. Um, it's funny because there's plenty of guests who are, you know, still working at the biopole and I always try to find like, you know, let's say guests that are you know beyond this ecosystem but there seems to be like so many th- interesting things to cover that i'll probably come back to that how can we get in touch with you um over linkedin per email
0: um yeah over linkedin is usually um it's where i'm probably responding the the fastest um otherwise i have my blog um, that has all my links um but that would be mailfabian.github.io
1: yeah i'll put the links in the, in the show notes um, is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up
0: no i think uh just a big thank you note uh i think it was uh, quite cool also to be able to go on a bit more in the i guess on the side of the topics that you would also usually cover and uh it's always i think a cool chance to talk about assistive technologies um because i mean we do stuff for blind people but assistive technologies in, in general help yeah as a field bridge broader. many fields and, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and AI is, is helping in, in various ways. So I think there are like a bunch of uh, interesting uh, discussions uh, still to be held on this.
1: Really cool. No, thank you so much for your time. I, I learned a ton of things. I knew nothing about, you know, autonomic vehicles. and didn't have so many interests in that. And now I, you know, hearing about your application, I think it's it's so relevant and useful. So yeah, super, super thankful for your time as well. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. All the notes are available in the episode description. If you liked it, don't hesitate to share it with your relatives, friends, or colleagues, and subscribe to the podcast. I would be extremely grateful if you could leave a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really helps Impulse move up in the rankings. Feel free to reach out to me by email or through LinkedIn if you want to share your feedback, questions, or suggest potential guests. Thanks a lot and see you in the next one.